0: Hello and welcome to Experience Cast from the QOE, where we bring you insights about the relationship between customer and employee experience to offer new perspectives on organisational performance. I'm Tony Reeves and I'll be hosting today's conversation along with Carl Lyon, who's the QOE's discussion chairman and author of Perpetual Experience. And the question that we're debating in today's episode is this, how should we be engaging with and learning from our employees? Now, this builds on some of the previous uh, conversations that we've had around uh, employee experience in our previous podcasts. And to help us unpack today's question, I'm delighted to be joined by our guests, Andy Inkles, who's Head of Store Resourcing and Scheduling at Marks & Spencers, and Jonathan Can, Global Head of CRM at Namecheap. Andy and Jonathan, so a very warm welcome to you both to Experience Cast. Thanks, Tony. Thank you. So we have this focus today on how should we be engaging with and learning from our employees. And... Jonathan, I wonder if I might come to you first and just start with a question of, in your experience, would you say that there's a difference between simply engaging with employees and learning from employees?
1: Uh, a massive difference. Um, if you look at just engaging with employees, that could be your everyday water cooler discussion. Um, I, I think, but there is a, a great strength to that by engaging with employees because you actually show you're human and you actually share those little uh, bits of information about your life, which breaks down the business functional discussion, which can get very tiresome after a while. It also brings in your personality. So that is vitally important. And the secondly, learning from employees uh, is huge. It should be both ways. I mean i i'm in an interesting situation which I, I work for a virtual company so we're all working remotely which adds a whole different uh spin to this but even when i was working in the in the corporate world actually learning and being open to learn is a huge strength uh, i that <laughs> without without you know without going into the detail i must admit on a number of occasions i was stubborn enough and arrogant enough thinking i knew everything specifically my uh, early 20s um, and looking back on it that is probably my biggest regret is that actually you can learn from everybody, every single employee whether you are the CEO to um, the receptionist that you can learn from everything and I think if we can as managers, as leaders, as people open our eyes then not only will we be in a happier environment but the culture of the company will grow because the culture of a company is driven by the personality of the employees, not necessarily what's written on the wall. And I think that is vital. And I think, as I said, with a little bit of regret, I would love to in my early or late 20s, early 20s, had a much more open view on learning. And only now in my 40s have I just you know, got to that view that I can learn every day. And I want to learn from different people, from, from my children. I love to, you know, some of the stuff they came up with is, is mind-blowing. You suddenly go, <laughs> wow, okay, I'm learning from my children. I'm learning from a six-year-old. Um, and I think that not only helps us in the business, but in life as a whole.
0: Yeah, we could have a whole podcast on things that we've learned from our children. Likewise, I think some of the things that I learned from my kids just mind-blowing on a daily basis. And also your point about learning and engaging with employees in a, in a virtual organisation presents its own challenges, and that's something I'd like to come back to a little bit later on okay. when we look at technology. So Andy, I wonder if I might come to you with this, um, because you're obviously working in a, in a very large and diverse organisation. So what would you say are some of the challenges about engaging employees when you have such a large workforce?
2: Yeah, I think apart from the um, the obvious in terms of just physically being able to to get around so many different um, I- employees, I think one of the biggest challenges that we certainly face is just the sheer uh, variety and, and mix of people um, that we have working for us. Um, and I think not only kind of large organisations, but certainly ones that um, have, have a long kind of heritage behind them. Again, I think there's a huge um, variety of expectations um, across the organization and I think being able to somehow kind of find a, a strategy that um, sort of uh, caters for all of those um, is, is incredibly difficult and I think with the um, you know march of technology as it is at the moment you know that is stretching both the opportunity but also the challenge um, even further so um, yeah probably the biggest thing I would say is just yes meeting that, that variety of expectation.
0: Thanks, Andy. And Carl, I wonder if I might come to you with that as well, because with your sort of working with organisations from across sectors, what are you seeing as some of these challenges around engaging employees as as things start to change and change very quickly?
3: Yeah, it's it, it's great to have um, two different uh, scenarios uh, represented today, um, because uh, engagement is a is an interesting uh, uh, topic all in itself some people see engagement as water cooler moments um having one-to-one with your with your with your peers um uh others see engagement as uh something much broader a communication strategy uh, etc so you've got two different diverse companies here um and it's a it's a really good way of illustrating the the problems in some ways that if you have got a uh, Marks and Spencers or a Lloyd's or any of these huge companies with with lots of people. How does that engagement work? What is it? What are you trying to achieve? Um, the, and then you get the other view, which is um, absolutely right, where you're learning from everybody, um, and how do you duplicate that in a in a uh, in a very large company? And I think I think technology probably is the answer here, um, and uh, you can do some really good things using chat and using um uh communities to really see uh, and understand what's 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 going on here what's 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 the narrative within your organization and if you can get enough to understand the na- the real narrative in your organization then you're really onto something um i think uh, what jonathan just said about the personality of your people um that's really important the personality of your people um and the the conversation and narrative they're having they're having on a day-to-day basis if you can access that then that's it, that's that's where you're going to learn from employees and there's a great work around there not just in call centers but in other areas where you can have online chats and then you can do some simple uh, analysis of that and come up with a real uh, understanding of what people are talking about and why
0: Thanks Carl. Cool. so we might as well go to technology which is one of the one of the things that I wanted to get to because it it seems like it's very difficult to engage with and interact with employees without uh, using technology in some way so Jonathan I wonder if you might expand on uh, on this context that you described so you're working in a virtual organization so no physical uh, office space how do you engage with employees uh, in that kind of organization what does that employee engagement look like
1: it it looks like instant messaging on a on a massive (laughs) scale um and, and that's exactly right. We have, and it's an interesting one because you know we're, we're 2,000 plus employees, so fairly a good size, um, and we use uh, instant messaging program. We use email. We use Skype. We use GTM. We use a variety of different uh, systems, um, which has its own challenges as well as people getting used to use them and the interesting thing is we don't have a standardization which confuses the employee the, the person who arrives saying which one should I use and, it, and normally the answer is well whichever you want to use um, and I know some people work but I know some because I've been there long enough I know some people reply in Skype I know some people reply in Flock which is our instant messaging program and somebody will do an email and I think there's, it's a level of understanding who the person is. I think it's a level of uh, taking a step back. In a virtual world, you can. You can actually take a step back and ask yourself, did they actually mean it? The use of emojis is, in a strange way, incredibly strong. And the reason I say that is because not only are we virtual, but we're also culturally different. And so you can read something because we have a large number of our employees in, in Ukraine very, very differently than, um, as we all know, an email or an innocent message can be read in two ways, always. Uh, and actually, the use of emojis can change it immediately because you can see a smiley face you know, challenging you, but in a smiley face way, and it changes it. I didn't realize this at all until I started to use them. It's changed the way we talk, and you can actually have a little hint of which direction you should read that comment in. So we use it in a variety of different ways. There is conversations on on the phone or on Skype on an ongoing basis. We do try now and have a visual aspect to that, so you can actually see somebody talking to you which previously didn't. And that makes a difference because you know somebody is present in the conversation, um, which, again, reinforces it. But also, I think, from a leadership and management perspective, as somebody said, one-to-one communication, I'm a big believer of setting a, a structure of actually having one-to-ones every week, even if it's a five minutes, just a check, somebody temperature check, suddenly they're okay. Then you can get down to the nitty-gritty Um, you can have it structured in that way, but also it starts to break down, show from a leadership perspective that you, they, you're important to them, not just the work you're doing, but the actual team you're managing is important. And I think I learned that from a guy in O2 who was always saying the one-to-ones are actually the most important conversations you will have all week. And I think that's, that was really important. I learned that from him, um, and he used to get he used to get a lot of grief for it. Surprisingly, you know, said, no, no, he used to say, "I can't do it. I have a one-to-one. It's that important." And looking back on it, he was right. In my view, he's those the the relationships, those important questions, and we talked about the engagement of talking, creating personality. It's vitally important to understand each person's workload, each person's style, but also. Specifically, in a, when you work in a remote world, their pressures from a potentially family life—what are they going through? What suddenly might happen? It's we have to break the the barriers down in the virtual world, so you get down to that water cooler moment specifically with your team, so you again have that little bit of personality rather than just your list of work to do, and it's it it generates a slightly better team ethic. Um, a, a much better team ethic if you go down that route. Thanks, Jonathan.
0: That's really interesting insight into, into what it's like, what this looks like in a more virtual organization. And Andy, I wonder if I might come to you with the same question. So what, what are some of the barriers to using technology to engage with employees when you've got, you can't do one-to-ones all the time because you've got, you know, uh, however many employees that, that you've got working for Marks & Spencer, but it's a lot. So what are some of the challenges that you face with a, with a diverse workforce in engaging them with technology?
2: Um, I think probably one of the biggest challenges um, is recognizing that with technology behaviors around engagement and experience have to be different and I think where where I see you know, the biggest challenges is where people try to i suppose replicate um, old behaviors with with new technology um, and Jonathan just talked there about things like emojis and you know putting out traditional kind of statements or or kind of trying to manage meetings in the old way using technology doesn't always resonate with teams and therefore I think there is has to be that acceptance that if we are going to embrace technology more and use it in a different way then then we have to behave uh, differently as well I, I think the other big opportunity though that it does give I think it gives a, a whole host of different and new clues and we started at the right beginning of this conversation talking about learning I think there's a whole host of things that technology then enables uh, an organization to be able to see and, and uh, understand about its workforce and, and whether that be again as Jonathan said the way that the the smiley face emoji is used or who is interacting with what who's posting how frequently they're doing it are they choosing to use different technology as opposed to the corporate sponsored one I think there's a lot of clues there that uh, organizationally we can take to understand just how engaged our teams are.
0: Excellent. That's really useful to get a sense of what that looks like in a, in a, in a large and diverse organization. And Carla, I just, wonder if I might... Just to come... Oh, sorry, Jonathan, go on.
1: Sorry, John, yeah. Can I just add a bit on what Andy said about um, you know using technology in, in a, a new evolved way, specifically if you're used to having face-to-face meetings, but you also have the same... You should have the same discipline. Uh, My my CEO at the moment has a piece about you have to be on that call at the right time. If you're not on that call, don't join in. And he, to the point that if he's late for a call, he will apologize and say, I'm not going to join. And he's trying to drive this ethic into uh, the whole company. And it used to be the same when you used to turn up in meetings. And as soon as that discipline starts to go, you know, we all know you turn late seven minutes to the meeting as you walk through the door and you'll finish seven minutes late. So everything is pushed seven minutes, but further back. Um, and we used to have at at 02 and it used to be, okay, seven minute rule. Well, you need to get in and start. And so it's the same discipline as well as using it differently in a strange way you have to take. Um, and i think that's really interesting but also uh something that we also have to learn from is you have to do the same and be present you have to be present in those calls or they're a waste of time
0: yeah i think that's a very important point jonathan definitely we all know what it's like to be on a call with you know 30 people checking their emails while they're on a conference call so i think there's yeah there's certainly an onus on uh the company or the person leader of that meeting to set the behaviours and, and ground rules for that meeting, so that everyone goes into it with clear expectations. I think that is really important. It's a good point to point out. This, this is,
3: if I uh-huh. may, Tony, this is this is interesting. Um, again, we're 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 with this conversation is taking, um, uh, if you like, two directions. There's interacting with people, and what what and how we interact with people, and what that means to the individuals involved um about company um culture uh what we do how we do it um and discipline and those things and professionalism if you want to use that word that's great then also that andy hinted at a, a, a minute ago was that also provides us with a view um a data-driven view perhaps um on what is happening within within our own uh, communities um for instance one of the earlier pieces of research that one of the companies uh, we're working with suddenly realized how many of, uh, how much of the work was done on the train on the way home and how many conversations, how many emails, how many text messages were being sent in the evening. And it was a real eye-opener for the organization to suddenly realize that how much was happening and the environment which people were in as that was happening. So. You imagine somebody replying to a text or an email on quite an important issue sitting in their office um, uh, quite focused on what they're doing well actually they were on the train on the way home Um, and we've all been on trains coming out of London etc and we know how uh, disruptive the atmosphere that is so I think this shows us an awful lot uh, we can read a lot more into into this than just the personal so again it comes to back to the similarities with customer experience there's data here that can tell us um, give us a whole different view on things. Um, And then there's also the personal side of it and the the influencing individuals.
0: Thanks, Carl. And that actually takes us quite nicely onto the next question, which I wanted to look at this idea of how is this practice of getting feedback from employees changing? Now you mentioned customer experience, and obviously there's been a lot of talk over the last few years around the danger of only listening to what we want to listen to in terms of, uh, we've got all this data, rich data on customers, there is a danger that we can just focus in on the data that tells us what we want to hear. And I think my, my, my feeling is that perhaps that's the same for uh, for employee engagement as well, and that there's this danger of, as we open up uh, channels to employee engagement and employee experience, we get more and more data about what our employees are experiencing, that there, there is an increasing danger of just listening to what we want to, to confirm the narrative that we want. Andy, I wonder if I might come to you with that. Is that. Do you think that is a challenge that perhaps you face, or that you... In in your sector, that as you as you broaden out um, channels to employee engagement, that there's a danger of just focusing on the conversations that confirm what you want to hear.
2: Um, Yeah, very very much. I think it is that sort of human (coughs) kind of bias that 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 we have in that we actively seek out things that uh, reinforce our beliefs. And you know, it always makes me smile with uh, with kind of colleague surveys where if if the results are positive, um, it's always down to something we've done uh to drive that if the results are negative then there'll be a mitigating factor as to why they're negative um and i think it comes back to what the 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 purpose of that kind of data collation is um and i think for me it's about getting a blend i think surveys have their place i think they can be very useful um as a as a start of 10 or to, to probe into a into a particular area um but I don't think they can be the only source of, um, of kind of insight. And I think sometimes the most powerful source can be just kind of watching, listening and kind of observing what is going on in, a, in an organisation. And you will get a sense of it whenever you walk into a, a company or a store or whatever. You, you know instinctively in the first few minutes what kind of uh, culture and what kind of atmosphere you are you are walking into. But because it's so much more difficult to, to put a tangible Uh, Value to that. I think sometimes we overlook it and we rely too much on a a snapshot or a a kind of a moment in time So I think getting that blend between the uh, the data-driven And and the emotional side of engagement is um, is really important
0: Thanks, Annie That's a really interesting point because we this has come up in the last couple of episodes of experience cast this importance of listening really listening closely to what's happening in organization and Jonathan How do you do that when you can't walk into an environment and and listen? I mean, if if all you've got is a lot of data, how do you listen to uh, what is happening and and get a measure of what what employees are saying in the organization?
1: I'm trying to really think about how to answer that um, (laughs) because I can do it. The reason I'm struggling is because I'm thinking, okay, do we listen? How do we listen? And we don't necessarily have any structures In place um to in my in my side of the business that's not to say there isn't but i think there is an element of yeah it's purely it's quite siloed looking back you know looking at it now we're fairly siloed i I, know i listen to my team i recruit my team and we are very um based in the same sort of culture we know what we want to do and we we're experienced Um, And I recruit experienced people because you can imagine trying to train a junior in a virtual world is close to nigh and impossible. Um, I'm sure there are ways, but I haven't found one yet. Um, So I'm thinking I I generally struggle with that question. And I'll be brutally honest and I'm going to give you something I, I just don't know we haven't got any structures as a whole, but it's down to the individual, it's down to the the team leaders and the leadership team to actually listen to their, to the, the to the to everybody, not to listen and understand. And I think there's a a culture of listening. The interesting piece here that that also there's the Western approach to. Having conversations, and I say Western, Western European, and American, which is we're quite happy to talk over everybody. You, if somebody breathes, that that's an opportunity for you to talk. Um, which, but then the Eastern European, and I only realised this when I was in the in the Ukraine, is they put their hand up to talk. Try and, yeah, yes, Carl sticking his hand I'm up. Um, up <laughs> but but I was going to interrupt you, but is, I thought that'd be rude. But, but the, the key to this is how do you do that in a virtual world if you can't see people? And I only realized this, as I said, in, in December, is that you actually have to go and ask for their feedback. You actually have to be open to hear people. And that's a different culture cultural difference between countries. And if I hadn't gone to Ukraine and seen, and seen it, I would have never known. Because I then said, w- do you put your hand up? when you want to speak. And, they, and the view was, actually, yeah, it's very rude if you don't. Yeah, which is and, good and good so, to, it's good to it point out that,
0: Jonathan, you're taking into account that cultural difference and making sure that there's a danger of just imposing one set of uh, uh, ways of working or one set of values on this kind of conversation rather than saying, actually, there are different ways of doing this in different contexts, which is a, a hugely, hugely important point.
2: I think on I think that, that, to that Tony, is, as well, I think it's that, mm-hmm. the, the bit around, you know, how do we listen to people who aren't saying anything? And I think we, you know, we very often uh, can focus on the opposite ends of the scale. So those that are kind of are very engaged and are kind of, you know, seeing the praises and and those people that are very disengaged and and making it very vocal. But recognising that the majority probably sits somewhere in the middle. Um, and, and may not necessarily be uh, as, as proactive to put across their, their viewpoint. But we probably stand the biggest opportunity with that group of people of actually a little bit of effort would probably move them much more towards the engaged end of the scale than the disengaged. But without that sort of proactive offering of what's on their minds or what would, what would you know, work for them, you really have to, to John's point, you really have to find ways of of getting that information from them um because it won't necessarily come naturally and it won't be obvious um necessarily in their kind of day-to-day work of you know exactly where they are on that scale
0: thanks Andy. Yeah. Carl, i think do you want to come in because i think that's something that's come up with yeah. the qe around this danger of only hearing the extremes in a conversation isn't it
3: it, it has and um uh, the, the more i listen to this the more similarities there are with customer experience so um for customer experience we started producing uh, rightly so customer journey maps um, and those are mapping that out. And the idea is then that you bring in all the different voices along that along that journey. And we're starting to see um, people do the same with um, with employees. Now, in, I don't mean an in, employee journey map, even though that's a, that's a good thing to do. Um, what we are starting to do, and we, we had this on the podcast a couple of um, uh, episodes ago, was to try and focus what we're doing with employees. So we can listen. And we can gather information from people as they offer it to us, as Andy was saying. But we also need to bring some structure in place to say, okay, we're looking at these issues. Now, who, does that, who has a, uh, an impact on that? Um, and then look at it, at it as a journey and go and talk to the employees that are involved in that journey. And not just some of them, not the ones that are obvious right from the start, but everybody. And we did this with a telco um, a little while ago and we really came up with some interesting insight into why some things weren't working properly um, and we started finding workarounds, um, points of friction um, things that are happening outside of process because we were proactively talking to everybody that um, was involved uh, in 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 the process or in the delivery of that customer experience so you do actually have to go and find the people otherwise you only hear the very the very happy or the very negative and for employees, you can hear too much negative, just like, I suppose, with customers. So you do have to find them. And one way of doing it is to start planning what you're going to do with employee experience and bring some focus to it, as uh, Joe Kennedy was talking uh, a little time ago.
0: Thanks, Carl. Actually, that leads us nicely on the, the last question for today, really. So I wanted to just ask really... What are some of the benefits to a business of, of harnessing this employee community? I'm, Carl, you've mentioned this link between employee experience, customer experience. And Andy, I wonder if I might come to you with that first. So if you can start to harness an employee community, how, in your opinion, does that then translate into things like improved customer experience? What are some of the other benefits that we might get from harnessing our employee community effectively?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there's a lot of um, stats out there that will, will tell you that uh, the more engaged your workforce are, um the the kind of lower your sort of attrition rates are the better your customer experience um absence you know all of those factors and i think you know they are all they are all true um to a certain degree i don't think necessarily it's always quite as as cut and dry as some of the uh the stats would have you believe but um I think there is certainly a um, uh, kind of a, a benefit to it. And, you know, again, as a as a retailer, uh, you hit the nail on the head there a minute ago that said, actually, you know, the, the biggest benefit to us is probably our, our customer experience because if our teams are happy, if they are, you know, in effect, truly engaged, i.e. they are giving their best uh, to the organisation every day, then that is naturally going to, kind of rub off on our customers both directly in, in terms of the the efforts or the lengths that they will go to to uh to work with the customers but also indirectly as well just their kind of their, their body language their mannerisms their, their tone of conversation um and all of a sudden, what you then get is a, a very different experience in a store. Um, and as I said before, you can, you can, you can see it, you, know, you can walk into stores and you know uh, when you've got a team in there that are really enjoying their job versus a team that have got other things on their mind. So um, yeah, lots of benefits, but um, yeah, customer experience absolutely shouldn't be overlooked as for me, probably one of the biggest.
0: Thanks, Andy. And Jonathan, I wonder if I might come to you with that as well. So in your view, what, what are some of these benefits in your opinion, of, of harnessing uh, the employee community? How does that translate into improved business benefits?
1: I think that, as um, Andy said, obviously you can, you can feel... Some, when you go into a call centre, when you go into a, sh- a retail outlet, you can often feel a good quality... A team, that team ethic. M- much more difficult in a remote organisation, as you can imagine. You can't feel anything. Um, uh, and I think... That is, re- it's a really interesting challenge. But the view as our companies, we try, we we strive to be entrepreneurial as a whole, and that means that you get new ideas um, coming through, how to tackle problems, new products, and the view has been uh, very similar to Google. Um, I, I think it's based on the same Google um, view that if you have an idea, we will support you, create that idea. Um, We will invest in it. If it can run, then you can build it. You can own it. It's a very similar, I believe Google has a very similar ethos that creates ownership. So the view will always be, don't rest on your laurels, change something, push something. The company door is always open. That is a very good approach to have as long as the door is open not just the words, but actually when you go to the door and say, look, I've got this great idea. Could you invest $100,000 in it? The the idea is given due diligence rather than, sorry, uh, we've got other resource problems. So I think we have an ethos of entrepreneurialism. We have an ethos of trying different things, trying different elements, but also there is that slight question mark about, okay, If I go to the go to the well, will there be considered? Will it be considered that it's a good idea, or even will it be talked about and discussed? So, it's a balancing act. Um, And I think going back to creating that that environment that drives the right thing again, open conversations, open communication, presence on these calls, but also be willing to actually ask questions. And I think that is most important ask questions not only from the leaders to to the teams but also from the teams to the leaders and i think that is important and probably as important as the other way around because what you don't want to have is just the leaders chatting amongst themselves because then you suddenly disengage everybody else
0: thanks jonathan and Carl, to so any final thoughts on that around the, what you're picking up from the benefits of harnessing this this employee community, this employee experience dynamic?
3: Yeah, well, this it, is fantastic. We just um, heard from from uh, Andy and then from Jonathan, um, the two sides of this. Um, uh, if your employees are, are are happy, they're they're working well, they're positive, then the knock direct knock on effect on customer experience is huge. And then you have when you get further deeper into the organisation, um, if your your, the people working in your organisation are allowed to ask questions. They're allowed to put forward ideas, and those ideas are taken seriously. Then your company will um, will work better, um, and uh, customers are only going to benefit from that. You know, people ask me what's the what's the most important thing for a company to do to deliver great customer experience. Well, the first thing is be very good at what you do. Um, if you're good at what you do, then you will deliver more experiences. Um, the other thing I'm just looking uh, hearing through that. Um, Companies that do this stuff really well, um, what tends to happen is you have good emotional intelligence on the front face of an organization dealing with its customers. Then the interaction between the front face and the the, the middle management is good. And then the um, relationship between middle management up into the leadership of the organization. And there's emotional intelligence all the way through that. If you're driving really good emotional intelligence, into all the decision making um, across the company, then you will end up delivering really good uh, employee experience and great customer experience and and do it sort of probably the most efficient way you can do it.
0: Fantastic. Carl, Andy, Jonathan, thank you very much for your insights onto this topic today. It's been really great talking with you and thank you for joining us. Thank you. huge thanks to our guests, Andy Inkles and Jonathan Cann for helping Carla and myself to unpack this complex topic of engaging and learning from our employees. And I'd also like to thank you for listening in to ExperienceCast. And if you'd like to find out more about what we do at the QOE, just go to the theqoe.com where you'll find more details about our short courses, group discussions, and other ways that we can support you in your work. Also, don't forget that we debate your questions on ExperienceCast. So if you have a question that you'd like us to explore, just send it to us by going to the qoe.com and clicking on ask a question. One last thing, our next face-to-face discussion is going to be on the 12th of March in London and our topic is this. If 2020 is the year of the employee, how will this impact customer experience? This is a full day discussion that will give more chance to pull out some of these themes that have come out of the recent podcasts looking at the relationship between customer and employee experience. If you'd like to join us, please just send me an email at tony.reeves, that's tony.rwves at theqoe.com, or visit our website for more details. Thank you and enjoy the rest of your day.